Hey everybody, welcome back to Shadow Particles, a His Dark Materials companion podcast. I'm Evan Minto, and back with me today is a another guest from last season, Renee. Welcome back. Hi. We're here to talk about the final episode of season two, Isahetra, as we'll, we'll get into uh, all that in just a little bit. The house rules for Shadow Particles, as always, we will not be spoiling anything for the show. So all the upcoming season three stuff that we know because we are book fans, we, we're not going to talk about. We'll, 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 we'll maybe hint at stuff, but no spoilers. Uh, and we're recapping the US release on HBO, not the BBC one. BBC finished last week. Uh, HBO just finished this week. Let's hit my three intro questions, two of which Renee has already answered. First up, your familiarity with his dark materials. Yep. I have um, read the books semi-recently, like probably a year ago, and I read them many times before that. And what did you think of season one overall? Oh, I don't think I have any hot takes compared to anyone else who's been on this. I would say that uh, mm. Natasha's summary of uh, clinical is about right. Yeah, yep, yep. And what's your demon? My demon is a raccoon. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yep. The good story I have about this is last episode or last time I was on this, I knew you were going to ask me this. So I asked some of my friends and my boyfriends and stuff, and it was pretty unanimous, which I did not expect. <laughs> I was like trying to That's ask good. them to get yeah. an idea of like the range of demons that I might want to consider as my demon. And then just everyone said raccoon. <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, okay. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah pretty okay that, that's a, that's a, a good very good sign yeah uh, so we're here to talk about episode seven of seven uh as i've discussed before on the podcast there's only seven episodes this season because the the lord azrael episode got cut very sad about that uh the title of this one is asahetra which we've heard before it is the other name of the subtle knife uh and means they say literally what it means. They definitely said what it is. I don't think they did. Yeah, when they say Asahetra, they are talking about a weapon that can destroy the authority. We'll, we'll talk about the authority in a little bit. Wait, what does it mean? I don't even know. I what think it means. means. Well, it means. I think it's in the book. They say what it means. I won't. I won't. Then maybe they'll. Maybe they'll say the literal definition. Yeah. So for the summary of this episode, Lyra and Will grow closer as they make their way in the hills of the Chinagatse world toward Lee and Jopri. The Magisterium is hot on, on their heels, Lee and Jopri. Uh, so Lee makes a last stand in a canyon while Jopri escapes and Lee and Hester die, which we're very sad about uh, in, in protecting Jopri. Mrs. Coulter uses her new specter friends to torture a witch. She really likes to torture witches. Uh, discover that Lyra's true name is Eve, which we had very strongly alluded to last episode, and then uh, kidnap Lyra at the end of the episode. Jopri finally meets Will, who he did not realize was his son. He just thought he was meeting the bearer of the subtle knife and tells him that his task is to get the knife to Azrael before being killed by a magisterium soldier. Mary, blissfully unaware of all of this, just continues wandering around the hills, uh, guided by now some kind of mysterious blue flowers that, that seem to be indicating maybe where she's supposed to go. Mary is literally stopping to smell the roses. She is. She's having the best time. Everybody else is uh, doing things like dying. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm all for it. Yeah. 
the at the very end of the episode we finally see Azrael again who is pleading with the angels to join his war which they agree to very exciting and finally in the post credit scene we see Roger somewhere in some mysterious place asking Lyra to help him oof quite a lot of exciting stuff for book fans setting up for for the third season but also just some like actual big climaxes especially lee's death which is something that a lot yeah. of us were, were looking forward to seeing how they would handle <laughs> yeah so so what are your overall thoughts renee i i mean i i liked it a lot i thought i mean this whole season i've just been it's been really one-upping itself every episode and so i was over the moon about this uh finale coming up yeah, I think I'm I'm probably a little less positive on it because I was, uh, as we'll get into, a little disappointed with the Lee death. I felt like there were some some bits from the book that are really memorable that would have worked well. But yeah. that's like maybe just me nitpicking as a book fan. <laughs> uh, I think it did. If I try to like look at it with some remove, uh, it, it was a pretty emotional death scene. Even you know, if you just like didn't know <laughs> what the the version it is in the book. Uh, but I think what's a little weird about it is just that like the stuff about it that is accurate to the book is just a little like the book's ending is all is a little weird. It's and maybe not in a bad way, but it's a little it's a little off kilter. It kind of doesn't have like a big climactic single thing at the end of the book. Right. There's not like like in the show, it kind of feels like it's building up to a big battle or something, which doesn't really happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's instead kind of just different characters having different almost unrelated climaxes right they or they they touch yeah. in this very brief way like lee has his kind of climactic battle and then it's like will and joppery meet and that's kind of climactic but everything is a little bit disconnected so i it yeah it does feel a little little off maybe that's kind of on purpose because it it gives it this somewhat unsatisfying feeling going into the next part of the story mm -hmm. it is kind of empire strikes back-esque right <laughs> that kind of ending where like the the heroes are not in a good place nobody really got to have like a really heroic victory at the end you know yeah i yeah i think you're right so we got a bunch of things to talk about here let's uh Maybe start with the what I think for us is the big one and the reason why I wanted to have you on, which is uh, Lee's Lee's death, but also like the whole Lee Joppery bits in this episode. Yeah. What did you think of it? Oh, well, you know, I open mouth sobbed, <laughs> just kind of un unashamedly sobbing, kind of like in the dark by myself, too. It was mm -hmm. I mean, I knew it was coming. I had a roll of toilet paper next to me because who can really afford tissue paper these days? Uh, I mean, who can afford toilet paper in COVID days, right? Yeah. Who can, who can find toilet paper at the supermarket? Yeah, it's true. So maybe I was just being extravagant. Um, yeah, I I thought it was like the, the setup for it is, is pretty decent. Um, I, I like the, the location they picked for it, which is not the way I imagined it in the book. Yeah. But it's probably accurate to the book. It's one of those things where it's like, if I think about it, maybe the I, way the book described it is actually the same as the show, but I imagined it differently. Yeah. I think a lot of that was, I think that happened to me too. Because I thought that it was like a desert canyon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what you thought it was? Yeah, something like that. I imagine yeah. him like up, like uphill from them. Uh, but in, in this version, he's kind of like, he's at the, the sort of like the base of this kind of canyon or gorge or whatever. No, no, it's not big enough to be a canyon. Not sure what you'd call that. It's like a little. Yeah. Tolkien will have a word for it because <laughs> Tolkien has, you know, uses a million different words for hills and valleys and things 
but yeah, he's he's kind of shooting up at the guys as they as they come. But he has a it is you know he's got like this kind of choke point where he's able to to shoot them. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I think it's uh they they did a decent job with what I think is like the key part of that scene, which is Hester and Lee going back and forth, kind of like keeping each other going. Yeah, uh, and the way that she's like calling out, you know, they're they're like having a conversation. For and she's him. she's scouting for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That that was great. She's like on the left, on the right. Yeah, I liked that a lot. I also one of the thing the touches I really like is Joppery is a shaman, right? And they've been talking about that and his all his powers and everything. And there's a kind of understated thing in this episode of he kind of knows everything that's going to happen. Oh, yeah. In the episode. And like every time someone is kind of like talking about the future, he is like playing along. But you get the sense that he he is just kind of like, well, I can't tell you what's going to happen, but it's not what you are hoping is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I think he played that really well. Talking to Lee and then also talking yep. to Will. Right. Where Lee thinks like he's he's like, ah, I'm a pretty good shot. I'll get out of this. And he's like, <laughs> goodbye. Like, yeah, you're you're not going to make it out. But I can't tell you you're not going to make it out. That's when I started open mouth sobbing. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a good scene. It feels very sad. Yeah, like, it feels his, his goodbye is not like a see you later. It's like a goodbye forever. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's the point at which Lee understands, too, that mm. he's probably going to die. Yeah, and then he does it when talking to Will, and, and that's a nice nice bit of acting, where Will yeah. says, like, and then we go home, and he does the kind of, like, thing Sigh. where he is trying, he he shakes his head, but he's try, he's kind of, like, trying to nod, like, it turns into a nod, and he's, like, saying yes, but shaking his head, which is, like, a classic kind of person trying to lie. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And then he takes forever to actually say yes. Then we go home because he he knows that he's a he knows like he's about to die. Yeah, and Will doesn't even like notice that mannerism because all he wants mm-hmm. to hear he just wants to hear right. a yes. Yeah, yeah. And there's a I mean this is in the book too, and and I really like the fact that it's like Jopri can see part of the future, but it's he he can see that he's going to meet the bearer of the subtle knife tell them what they have to do and then die. But he mm-hmm. can't see that the bearer is his son. And, right. And it's played very well where it's like he's like, this is a variable he didn't expect. He had it all kind of planned out except for this. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. This actually just occurred to me, though. Um, like, Chopri's powers, like, come from the same source that, like, l- the alethiometer's powers come from. Yeah, stuff exactly. Like that. And I, they- I never thought about that. You're right. Yeah. The, like, dust that is giving information to Lyra through the alethiometer sometimes doesn't tell her the whole truth because mm-hmm. it's more convenient to push her on her path if she doesn't know the whole truth. So I wonder if that was the same, like, case with Jopri, where it's like, if he knew it was his son that he needed to meet and then die, he probably wouldn't have done it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the same way that Lyra wouldn't have made it to the window and walked through to another world if, if she, yeah, knew, she that knew that Roger, Roger was, was going to die. die. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point that I never even thought about in, in the book, let yeah. alone in the show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I think that aspect feels like if you kind of detach yourself from the expectation of this having like a huge, you know, battle as the, the climax of the season, mm-hmm. th- I think there is something very poetic about this, all these characters kind of making it to the same location and then things just sort of breaking down. And like you, it, it all just exists to like, bring like i don't know it feels like these like knife points of just like everybody is just getting it to the point where 
Will and his dad can meet for like five minutes, and mm-hmm. then it's like everything blows up, right? Yeah. <laughs> like a, a, all everyone's efforts were just to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. I think the pacing of this episode was weird now that I think about it. Yeah. I think it was a lot of like super high paced action scenes and then like really like quiet emotional talk between Will and his dad. And then, yeah. Yeah. I think there's this is just the the general issue of there being maybe a few too many things going on in the show. Yeah. Uh, So it has to jump back and forth. Like there were bits where I felt like I just wanted to see the Lee and Joppery stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like I just wanted I just wanted that without having to cut back and forth to Lyra and Will. But Mm -hmm. it's kind of trying to juggle all these things at the same time. Yeah. I think so something that came up in our our group watch that that some people were a little bit confused about is it, it does feel like they're the characters are all in the same location, but they're like it's weird how little they interact with each other. Yeah. Right. Like like why don't they, you know, why doesn't Mary run into anybody? Why? Yeah, I think that's that's always been weird, like throughout the whole season. And it was just even weirder this episode because everyone was being interweaved with each other. And it was all mm-hmm. like implied that this was all happening at the same time. And like, yeah, yeah, just and they all seemed I mean, you know, aerial shots of Hawaii. Right. They all seemed like they were going to the exact same place. Yeah, I think I think visually it makes it a little more confusing compared to the the book where it's roughly the same thing. But it, because like you're not getting the sort of direct visual indication of where people are, it, it just feels like, oh, well, maybe they're just like miles apart. And yeah, you know, <laughs> maybe we should we should uh, we should talk a bit about some of the kind of cosmic religious stuff going on here, because I one of the things I was very excited about in this episode is that it kind of dropped a few more of these these floating questions that that have been in the second season about like what is at stake here, right? Like like all these prophecies and things. Mm-hmm. And it felt like this this last episode really kind of said, "All right, here you go. This is what this is about," right? And it's about fighting the authority which we now have been have gotten enough indications to show is not just like a word for God in the Bible in Lyra's world, but it's a, it's a thing. You know, it's not clear if it's a person or some kind of entity or something, but there, there is something that we would think of as a God that exists across these different universes. Mm -hmm. And that's what Azrael is after. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that I think is a, it's really exciting to have that kind of revealed at this point. Whereas I think it's a little bit more slowly revealed in the book. And it's kind of cool that it like, it's just this, this big kind of like, oh, it all clicks in this episode. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think it's still pretty unclear what exactly the authority is. Like, is it right, just right. an abstract force? Is it a person? But mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely something you can kill. <laughs> Right, right, right. It's, it's it's not just a metaphor or something. It's, right. it's like, yeah, something you can kill, something you can go to war against. Yeah. Yeah, that, I think that's exciting. Uh, I, I thought that the the reveal of Lyra's name being Eve was OK. Uh, I think a bunch of us were worried about the fact that like they they almost said it last episode. And it's like, are they going to do a, a second reveal? And I thought it worked because it was it was really more about Mrs. Coulter finding out what the name is and then deciding what to do about it. Because, like, we already basically knew. Yeah. That was actually a really interesting scene to me. Because, like, mm. maybe I, I'm reading, like, way f- too far between the lines. But, like, there's been this whole theme this season of, like, the magisterium's sexism. And, mm-hmm. like, 
Mrs. Coulter is like, well, the the root of the magisterium sexism is like justified as being because of Eve falling to temptation. Mm. And so Mrs. Coulter's motivation for like protecting Lyra could is partly motherly, but could also be like, just like, I don't want this to happen to women again. Yeah, yeah. So I will do the same thing that all of the evil dudes are doing. Yeah, exactly. Trying to stop the fall. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Because like at this point, it's like, well, if you love Lyra and you want to protect her, why don't you like let her be a person? But, you know, she has a lot more complicated motivations than that. Well, I think that theme is starting to emerge really well here, which is, a, a you know, a, a theme also in, in the books is maybe isn't as clear at this point in the books. But the, the, it really is like there's a lot of adults in Lyra and Will's life telling them what to do or forcing them to do things. Mm-hmm. Right. Like and some of them are good guys that that like we want to root for. Right. Like. There's obviously Mrs. Coulter, like Lyra's in the middle of her quest and Mrs. Coulter just kidnaps her and puts her in a suitcase and, yeah. and takes her away. That, I thought the suitcase was a really nice touch because the like earlier in the episode, Mrs. Coulter is just like, I need to have her mm-hmm. or something like that. She says something to that effect where it's like she really feels this like objectification of Lyra like she needs to possess her and then she like literally puts her inside of a suitcase like an object yeah yeah I've said in previous episodes that it really feels like she doesn't understand her own love for Lyra and just experiences it as a like well she's mine so of course I love her she belongs to me (laughs) right yeah (laughs) exactly that's what I remember that's what she says she says she's my daughter She's mine. But like, so there's obviously that. That's the most like the most obvious evil version of it. Right. Or like the Magisterium, which is has some plot to kill Lyra at this point. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's also like the witches. Right. Which we we got to see a little bit of a little bit of conflict where Lyra and Will kind of have the thing that they want to do. And the witches are like, well, we'll just take you back to our world and keep you safe. Right. Which is like, hmm, that doesn't that actually sounds kind of similar (laughs) to Mrs. Coulter. When you think about it. Yeah, that's Uh, true. And then and then joppery right when he meets will he he's not like i wish you well son do you know do what you think is right he says here's your mission you need to bring the knife to lord Azrael. yeah like this is this is an order for you like everyone is telling them what to do even the good guys yep one thing actually this is kind of off that topic but do you think that Serafina Pecola knew that what Ruta Scotti was looking for was the knife? Because Ruta Scotti didn't see Will or meet him at all. Oh, I, I think she I think she did know. Yeah, I, that's an interesting point. And she sent her away on purpose. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yes. I got that sense that she was she was like Ruta. And, and that was one of those things that I, I think is actually cool that like they in the previous episodes, it felt like, oh, they're doing all this witch stuff. I hope this is setting something up, right? Because the, the witch scenes were not not my favorites in this season. And it's not a great payoff, but I do feel like by building a little bit of tension between Serafina and Ruta's goals, we, we got like kind of stuff like that where yeah. Serafina knows that like if Ruta... If Ruta knew about Will, like she would, she, she would be like, "Oh, we gotta take this over to yeah, Azrael immediately, she just right?" Like she would, would see Will as a tool, as like a tool, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. 
Yep. So I kind of like that, that conflict, cool. right? That like, like, I mean, Serafina still has kind of some of that, you know, she wants to just protect Lyra, even to the point of maybe pulling Lyra away from her own motivations and her own quest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's a little bit less, you know, single minded than Ruda and more more able to kind of like respect these kids wishes. Mm-hmm. You know, she ultimately says, OK, yeah, we'll we'll t- we'll take will to his father. Right. Which was not her initial um, initial goal. But she's like, well, we're here to protect you. And if, if you need to bring will to his father, then we'll help you. Yeah. Well, the thing about that is that like Serafina Pekalon like knows that Lyra like is going to bring an end to all destiny. But, like, she doesn't know how. So, like... Right, right, <laughs> she right. She's just kind of got to say yes. <laughs> right, but the witches are really afraid that, like, something oh, yeah. bad will happen to Lyra and it'll all go wrong. And so, like, yeah, I, I think there's this interesting tension where they are, you know, they keep talking about being, you know, bringing an end to destiny. But they are, in a way, this these sorts of, like, slaves to destiny. Right? Yeah. Where they're like, well, this is her destiny and we need to just sort of pull her through to whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's cool. There's there's a lot of this stuff that I think is is mm, thematically in some of you know in like the amber spyglass, but I don't feel it as much in like these scenes in the subtle knife. But it it feels like they pulled just some of those themes in. So there's there's some meat there that yeah. hopefully will also make a lot more sense. Like once we hit the end of the show, and then people can look back on this. Yeah, honestly, I thought the ending montage was goofy. Mm-hmm. Really, I I kind of liked it. Yeah. It just didn't really do it for me. I wasn't excited by each of the characters standing in the sunlight. I just wanted more mm. time to see how, you know, like they were all crashing together, but then you end it with them all just kind of doing poses at the end. I guess I liked it because it just felt like it was Azriel's ambition tying all of this together, right? That like all these people are kind of separately struggling and then we we kind of you know zoom out and then pull back to Azrael and it's like you know what are they all struggling for and he is like providing some kind of goal where he's you know because everyone's talking about him everyone's like oh bring him the knife right so like for what what is he doing and then we see him like trying to get the angels i thought it was like a nice build up yeah i think uh, <laughs> actually what what i what made me not like that I've put my finger on it. And it's just the fact that Will is striking a triumphant pose while Lyra is being kidnapped, which made me very anxious. It was like a very weird tone for like what was happening. That's a good point because it's not a triumphant ending. It's a it's a somber kind of like, yeah, it's it's like, oh, we kind of things did not go well. Will met his father. His father died. Lyra got kidnapped by her mother. Note the contrast there between... (laughs) <laughs> the the parents yeah um yeah but but man i do like that Azrael scene because, yeah the Azrael uh, scene. mcavoy oh. just mcavoy just nails the the madness of Azrael. that <laughs> he's like traveled across worlds he's standing in the middle of just an empty like just a whatever whatever that is right like we, we don't know yet show mm-hmm. viewers don't know yet like just this kind of strange environment just shouting at the sky like i need you to help me fight god yeah <laughs> Gosh, the angels looked so cool. Yeah. I love the way uh, what, they just kind of shimmered into existence. Mm-hmm. That was just And so what a cool. cool reveal right at the end of the yeah. season where there's been all this buildup for like, what are the angels? What do they want? What is vengeance? Right. Yeah. And then we just get like right at the end, we reveal the angels in that scene. 
Yeah, that was exciting for sure. Let's uh, well, we'll talk about that post credits in a bit. But let's let's hit up the the Evans Demon Corner once okay. again to talk about some good demon content this episode. I know you had you well, you had at least one you wanted to talk about. Oh yeah, well actually, well I'll talk about my most obscure one, which is that there was a witch with a stork demon. And I think up to this point, all of the witches had 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 have had raptor demons. And so, like, I was just relieved that they were, you know, doing other birds. Yeah. in the in the books for people who who are show only in the books, most of the witches, they all have birds, but they're like uh, all sorts of different birds. Like Kaiza is a snow goose, goose. right? A snow goose. Yeah. Yeah. They're not all birds of prey or, or raptors or whatever, but. In this, I guess they changed them to make them cooler looking, uh, but it resulted in in just like all raptors all the time. <laughs> I know. So I thought it was cool that they finally put in a stork because it looked mm-hmm. really cool, too. Yeah, it did. It did. And it kind of worked for that. It was scene, really like the minor. Monkey, the monkey holding up the like holding oh, it by its neck. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, there's the other part of Demon Corner, right? Yeah, there was a lot of stuff between Mrs. Coulter and the monkey. Yeah, I like that it's it's her internal conflict once again, right? And and she is kind of thinking through, okay, my daughter is Eve. I need to do something about this. And he he sure doesn't like her new henchmen, right? He doesn't the, the the specters freak him out for obvious reasons. They they seemingly suck people's souls out. Uh, and he is like her doubt, right? He does. He seems to not want to go ahead with this, and and she literally has to like beat him into submission, like kick him and <laughs> get him on her side. Well, first she kicks him, and then she comforts him, which is mm, kind of right, like right. textbook abuser behavior too. Mm-hmm. I also like that she mirrors his body language, so she's on the ground, kind of doing like a monkey pose. Yeah, she like has to crouch down to cuddle him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's working out great. I mean, she's got a lot more interesting stuff to do, and I feel like this has laid a super good groundwork for her. Oh, I have my own uh, just a little demon complaint. I believe there were three lines read by Phoebe Waller-Bridge oh, in this entire season, gosh. and now she's gone. Yeah, that felt um, like a betrayal. Well, it was like, okay, fine. Like, Siam Kator doesn't really talk in the books, so do I expect her to talk that much? No. But the whole thing about them making a, a big deal about Phoebe Waller-Bridge is that, like, you know, she, she's in it. <laughs> And she wasn't. If you subbed her out for anyone else, it would have been the same. I have a theory. And it's that they cast someone else or they didn't have a casting for it or something. And they just like put her in at the last second. And so they had already kind of written all of the scenes with her. And it was like, okay, we have three lines. We'll just bring Phoebe Waller-Bridge in and it'll be a cool gimmick casting. And she'll she'll read these lines. I know, but... I, I I think that's probably right, but yeah, because yeah. like if you cast her, I can't imagine she's that expensive. She's not like a crazy big like you know super movie star or something, right? They they have James McAvoy in this. I'm sure they can afford her for a few voice acting lines. Yeah, so it just feels like if they knew going in that they had her, they would write extra scenes for Sion Couture or just extra dialogue to kind of like make it worth it. Yeah. She said two lines, I think, and they were completely none of 
like the first time she spoke was in what episode three or four or something like that. And in our watch group, like only half of the people got that it was her because we knew that that was his demon, not mm-hmm. because we knew that it was her. <laughs> It's just like a British lady talking, right? Like, there was no person. What I'm saying is there was no personality to her lines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a a shame. Uh, So so much for that. I do really like the Lee and Hester stuff, though, speaking of playing against each other. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that that works. Uh, I wish we got more Hester beforehand, but but they really do feel like they've got, you know, a life together that that is informing their their back and forth as as he's defending that position. I know. It was so sweet. Really, Hester makes that scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's the key in the book, too, is it's it's not just Lee in a shootout. It's it's Lee and Hester as a team kind of talking each other through it and and like talking through, you know, he, he does have the bit in there, which is important to the scene where he's like, I don't like taking lives, Hester. Right. Like it's it's him talking through like, you know, having to do this, having to kill people for a good cause. And that's a mirror to what happened in the observatory, too, which is Hester's like, you mm-hmm. got to do it. It's you or right. them. Yeah. Which She's is kind of the the we keep saying like the demons of the conscience, but it's it's complicated, right? They're like in the, in that case, he's kind of being the conscience, but she is the the pra- the pragmatist. who's like, you got to do what you got to do. Mm hmm. What is it he said? Uh, one of them says it's uh, it's us or them. Like she says it's us or them, and he says it's them or Lyra or something yep. like that. Yeah. Lee is so good. <laughs> we love yeah. Lee. I know. Even if you didn't love Lee, you have to love Hester. If you don't love yeah. Hester, yeah. at me. <laughs> you don't even have an at for them to at you at. Yeah, that's it was an empty threat. Is that even a threat? I don't know anything about Twitter. <laughs> it's not a threat. No, actually. <laughs> that's them threatening you is them adding you. One of the highlights, demon-wise, in this episode is the conversation between Pan and Will. They've been there's been this great kind of like triangle of those characters where Will and Lyra have their developing relationship and, and friendship, but there's also Pan and Will have their own kind of unique bond that's forming, and it's you're getting to see these two sides of Lyra, both getting to know Will, which I think is really sweet, and it's one of those like very unique things that you only get in a story with demons. Yeah, it was so sweet. I like the the bit. It's all pretty much from the book, where like Pan comes back to Lyra, and she's she's awake, awake right? which, and she's doing yeah. a little like elated smile. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. she she played that so well. It was so mm-hmm. adorable. Yeah, I guess Will doesn't understand the mechanics of demons because he's like, <laughs> yeah. you were awake. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, if Pan was awake, Lyra was awake. That's basically how it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were talking to her, my dude. You weren't just talking to a, a, a talking ermine. <laughs> it's funny because for a, a lot of the past episodes when Pan is interacting with Will, like in a calm setting, he's a red panda. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. now he's an ermine. I don't know. There doesn't seem to be much consistency or reason for it, except that red pandas are really cute. Yeah, it does seem like there's a there's a little bit. There's a little bit. I mean, I think it's maybe because it's like bedtime that Pan's in ermine or something, and that's kind of Lyra's like comfort animal or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but the red panda is a lot of the the other scenes with with Will, and it seems like that is a, a form that Pan associates with being with Will, right? Mm-hmm. Pan as an ermine is so cute. He's incredibly cute, and the thing is, uh, ermines actually look like that. They actually look like that. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. 
He's got big eyes and little ears. I do like that we've seen throughout the season these little touches where like when Lyra and Will are with each other, like Pan is Pan seems to like be closer to Will. If you pay attention to the the shots, right? Like he kind of whatever it is, like Pan will be like between Lyra and Will, right? Yeah. Be sort of pointed toward him, which is nice. Yeah. It's good stuff. That That's like a great buildup of that relationship. And it, it's like we keep saying, it's like so important to, to include Pan in this stuff, which the first season didn't do enough of because he is the like he's the other protagonist. <laughs> he's not just like a sidekick for Lyra. Yeah. Well, you know, that's kind of also partially why I thought the glorious montage was annoying because... You have this, like, really sweet moment between Lyra and Will. They're, like, vowing to do stuff together. Will, like, betrays that a little bit by going off on his own to go find mm-hmm. Joe Paris. And then we don't get the resolution of any of that, which is Will coming back and finding out that Lyra is gone. So, I mean, I get why they did that. They're going to do that in the ne- in the season premiere of next season. But it still felt right. weird to me. I just was anxious the whole time. I was just like, oh, no, Will. Oh, no. <laughs> Look what you yeah, did. I, I, I completely agree because, yeah, that you don't get the resolution. You don't get that moment of horror where he's like, I left Lyra and now she's gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's oh, a well. bit of I think that would have tied it up a lot better and would yeah. have felt like a, a better resolution for this. Like what is a, you know, and I think intentionally a kind of messy ending, but like it needed a little bit more of a little bit more punch at the end there for like the Lyra and Will relationship. Yeah. OK, so last maybe last thing to talk about here is that post credit scene, which I don't know if we can say much because we know what it is, but we can just sort of talk about it from an adaptation perspective. I think it's a great way to end it because yeah. it's it. I think. I think, you know, there's there's explanations that that people can have based on it. I don't think it's like a complete mystery to people. Right. Like I won't say whether those explanations are accurate or not, but I've heard non book reader explanations. Um, But it's just a good kind of like, you know, you thought Roger was out of this story, but through some mechanism, he's he's still part of the story here. (laughs) So there's like something going on there. And it's uh, it's kind of a a, a pretty big twist. Yep. I think, uh, I mean, each season is going to be like an expansion of scope. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of a good teaser for like what's coming. Maybe. Yeah. And I think it's it's that's the stuff I I like about this episode is that expanding of the kind of the scope and the the cosmic kind of aspect of it where you've got the authority, you've got Lyra is Eve and there's this idea of stopping the second fall and you've got a character who died who has seemingly shown up somewhere. (laughs) Right. And it's kind of all feels like, you know, you it's it's done this like last minute gut punch of like expanding everything before you go to the third season, which I think is cool. Yeah. Oh, gosh. One other thing about the episode. Mm -hmm. I just really want them to stop saying prophecies. I'm Uh, sick of prophecies. They just say the same prophecy. There's nothing new to it. Yeah. And people keep just saying like she's special. She has a thing to do. Right. Like it. it, And this is a thing where the book does not do it this often. The book has prophecies and they are mentioned occasionally. And then the story moves on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like you remember that there's something going on because Lyra is the main character. Mm -hmm. Like. I don't know. The show seems very heavy handed with the amount of times they say prophecies at us. 
I th- it feels a little bit unconfident in the material. Sometimes. I agree. Like it, like that it needs to keep reassuring you that these characters are important and there's a reason you should be paying attention to them. And it's like, yeah, I know I should be paying attention to them. They're the main characters. Just keep showing me what they're doing and stop it's telling like me like why they're important. <laughs> the writers don't have faith that we're like actually remembering things that happened in previous episodes. Yeah, I think this is a Jack Thorne thing, like the the main writer, because I felt like every time I saw someone else credited or almost every time I saw someone else credited for an episode, the dialogue was much better. Uh, is this a so, Jack Thorne only episode? It might be. I don't I don't remember uh, the writer for this one, but like yeah. the, one of the best episodes is the the one where Mrs. Coulter goes to the to Will's world. And that one, I believe, is entirely written by uh, not Jack Thorne. Yeah. <laughs> so, those episodes just feel like they they feel a bit more natural. There's there's characters having stories that are, you know, just about them and not about like moving the the kind of arch plot forward. Yeah. If this is a Jack Thorne thing, then it's like definitely he has a problem with like show not tell because a yeah. lot of season one was just telling you things. Well, that, that, that's the thing. He wrote all of season one. And exactly. Part of yeah. why I think season two is so much better is because now there's a writer's room of multiple yeah. other people who are also writing episodes and presumably, you know, being being more just more involved in the overall storytelling with him. Yeah. So every time someone like turns to the camera and is like, here is a prophecy. It feels so much like uh, the cringy stuff that I like that made my skin crawl in season one. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, God, not again. Again with the prophecies. Again with the prophecies. Quit it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, maybe we should we should wrap up here with some thoughts about season three going into that. Oh, gosh. It's going to be it's there's so much stuff to do in season three. So I own the um the the version of the books which is a hardcover bound copy of all of the books in one volume it has like really mm-hmm. thin pages and as i was reading it last year i had finished the subtle knife and i put a bookmark in it and then i realized mm-hmm. that i was only halfway through the volume yep yep so that's why I'm afraid for season three, <laughs> because they're not going to split the Amber Spyglass into two seasons, it seems like. And they have twice as much material to cover. But that being said, I'm super excited about it because I am super I was super excited about the way that season two got way better than season one. So if it continues at this mm-hmm. level, I will be very happy. I just think that it's like if they're they're if they're doing it in eight episodes, I'm extremely worried. If they're doing it in more episodes, I'm still concerned. Yeah, I think ten. I think you could do it in ten episodes. There would be things that would have to get cut, but I mean, I've I've sort of gamed it out in my head, and I could see how you could split up the Amber Spyglass into like even eight episodes, but that's a little tight. Hmm. I hope it's ten or more. It's probably not more. Like yeah. ten is the maximum if they get that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited. I, I'm there's a lot of very cool visual stuff coming up uh, in the in the Ember Spyglass that I'm, you know, uh, and I think every book fan is very excited to see yes. how they pull it off. Uh, it's probably going to be very expensive to produce because they're, I mean, most of the new characters introduced in in uh, the Ember Spyglass are from other worlds. <laughs> they require some some CG <laughs> to make them work. So yeah, that seems like it would be a very expensive season to produce. Um, yeah. 
But I'm glad I'm I was so worried that they wouldn't even do it. So Mm -hmm. I will take it. Yeah. And for for the show only fans listening, I would I would just say, yeah, like, you know, we've talked about some of the themes that are going on in here. Uh, Some of that is, you know, we have some insight from from the third book, but I'm, you know, trying not to spoil like all of it is stuff that's that's in the text here. But I I do think like book three really ties up a lot of things that are that are there in the air in the earlier books, but but kind of like puts a finer point on them. And there's a lot of a lot of people I've talked to have a lot of question marks about it that that do get resolved in that that third part. Yep. Mm, very excited. Very excited to see more of this Asriel stuff that they're setting up. Um, and well, yeah, like the stuff that's up with Roger. Just a lot of like very iconic things in uh, in the third book that I'm excited to see. Yeah. And I will say about season two, like as a book reader, the, the, the ways in which they've changed season two to fit, you know, into eight episodes and the things that they've added and, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I, I trust them. Yeah. I've talked about it on this show. There have been some really cool additions, especially in Mrs. Coulter's story that have like actually made the story better in some ways. So I I also trust that we're going to get more of that. Yeah. All right. With that, we will wrap up. The last episode of season two, and that means uh, you won't be hearing from me until next year when, presumably, when season three comes out. If you'd like to check out old episodes of Shadow Particles, and, and, you know, if you're just listening now and you want to catch up, the URL is shadowparticles.club that has all the episodes. You can email me at shadowparticlespodcast at gmail.com. If you send emails in between seasons, I'll, I'll still try to read them if you have thoughts on season two. And you can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and uh, rate the show and leave reviews to help more people find it. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm Vamptvo, V-A-M-P-T-V-O. Do you have anything you want to plug, Renee? No. Go take a hike. Take a hike. Like, literally take a hike. It's yeah. nice to take a hike sometimes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Go, go get some some tree, tree farts. Make like Mary and go on a nice adventure. Yeah, take a vacation. You deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> go sniff the roses yeah all right thank you uh thank you all for listening thank you renee for coming <laughs> on the show thank you it was an honor and i will see all of you in one year a little under a year for next season is it really gonna only take that long i hope so i hope it's not two years for the next season <sighs> don't make me think about that anyway that's it <laughs> later <laughs> bye happy new year <laughs>